0: Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show about the intersection of women's empowerment, embodiment, and self-defense, and what women need to know and do to enhance their physical, mental, and emotional safety. Here's your host, fourth-degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Jolicoer-Rude. Welcome to the
1: Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoer-Rude. And today I am thrilled to bring on the show a woman that I have been waiting to interview for not a full year, but it feels like it. It's been a long time since we first talked about having her on the show, and I know that you're going to love it. Asia Carroll is a certified life coach, author, mentor, advocate for childhood trauma, and a consultant and the CEO of Survivor Not By Chance, LLC whose mission is to help people cope with traumatic experiences by teaching them healthy coping mechanisms. Asia has clients from across the globe with various backgrounds and experiences. She has mentored teenagers and young adults for over 15 years and is an advocate for children and adults affected by childhood trauma and domestic violence. Asia volunteers to educate the community about racial injustice and systemic oppression in minority communities. She uses her own experiences with childhood trauma, domestic violence, and poverty as a tool to help others heal. Asia is the author of the book, The Pressure of Becoming a Diamond, an autobiographical novel about her challenging life experiences. She has a bachelor's degree in business administration from the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Welcome to the show, Asia.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. I'm super excited to be here.
1: Me too. I think the anticipation has just made it even more exciting because I think we first were scheduled to talk back in October. So hallelujah that I got it together and we can talk now. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, I'm curious. I like to start with some sort of warm up questions. And I'm curious, like
0: what has been the biggest change in your life in this last year? The last year, it's been a lot of changes. (laughs) I would say the biggest change for me would be I've been getting noticed by people in my area based on some of the things that I do with my business. And so like if I go to the grocery store, you know, walking down the street, people will notice who I am. And that's something new to me. I'm not used to that. So <laughs> I would say that's probably one of the biggest changes, getting accustomed to strangers, knowing who I am and I not know who they are.
1: Is that an uncomfortable feeling sometimes or or does it
0: generally just feel great? It's a mix of both. So I'm an ambivert, so I literally am an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. And so <laughs> I get nervous sometimes around people that I don't know. It's just a part of who I am. Even though I do a lot of speaking engagements, I still get nervous at times. Understandable. I mean,
1: my when you said that, my inner self defense coach radar went up. You know, like oh, this. This could be something we should talk about. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) But it is definitely a great feeling knowing that I am impacting people's lives, their children's lives, and some of the things that I'm doing is actually helping people. Well, yes, that's a
1: great affirmation of the value of your work. And you know, visibility for that is a wonderful thing. Because I think often we're kind of unsung heroes, you know, Mm -hmm. doing fabulous things and nobody knows about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really happy to hear that because as our audience will hear, you are up to some pretty cool stuff and the work that you're doing is very important. So I'm really pleased to hear that you're getting some recognition for that now. And hopefully that's just the beginning of some more great exposure and opportunities.
0: Thank you. It has actually led to quite a few different opportunities. This Friday, I'm speaking to an audience in the United Kingdom about domestic violence and overcoming childhood trauma. And so it's literally people are finding me from so many different avenues and ways. It's it's been amazing.
1: Well, that's great. And I hope that, you know, your episode on this show will also help to connect you with other people so that you can do more of that. Thank
0: you. Well, what is your favorite thing to do in the summertime? Actually, I love to go in my backyard with my children and get in our swimming pool and just turn music on and just stay out there for hours at a time until we forget what time it is. (laughs) Are you in the pool the whole time, like turning into a prune? primarily <laughs> you know well, when it's hot outside you don't realize how long you're in the pool when it's hot yep yep I
1: can relate I used to have a pool at my house and I uh, would just be out there floating around and then I'd, I'd look down at my fingers and realize that I like I was a shriveled old <laughs> in a mummy almost because I'd been in the water for so long but you're right yeah. when it's hot out and I would love to have a pool to go into right now because it's hundred degrees up in Coyote So that would be really nice. <laughs> yeah. And it's a treat too, to do that in the summer because, yes. uh, you know, where you live doing that in the wintertime is not even an option.
0: No, it's not. So that's the only time we have the opportunity to do it. Yeah. It's really special. Yes, it is. So what's your favorite self-care practice? My favorite self-care practice is meditation. I live by it. I cannot go a day without it. <laughs> it helps keep me grounded. It helps me stay calm. It helps me make decisions way quicker than I would prior. Um, it allows me to release when I need to release. It allows me to be in a moment of gratitude. It's it's my everything. I, I live by it. Is there any particular style of meditating that you do? I don't know the different forms of meditations, like in regards to the techniques per se and the terms. But I do literally just sit on my floor in my room and I'll put a pillow behind my back and I'll do deep breaths in and out. And I'll play meditation music and allow myself to hear it and have thoughts and, you know, just transcend I love it. I wish that
1: I could persuade myself to do that. I just... It's amazing. Oh my
0: goodness. When I first started meditating, it was very hard. I'm not going to lie. It took me a while to get a groove and I used guided meditations and I started slowly with one minute meditations and then gradually increased to three minute meditations and then increased to 10 to 15 to now where I can do 20 minute meditations without being guided. I'm just following my own rhythm and my own path, but I've been meditating for about three years now. So after time progresses, it becomes a lot easier. And for me, meditation is my release moments. And so I've had moments where I'll meditate and I'll have a flashback or memory of something that happened to me when I was a child and I may feel emotional or I may feel an emotion about that moment that I'm triggered by and I'll I will allow myself to be in that moment I allow myself to feel in that moment and if I cry if I need to scream, whatever it is, I feel I need to do to release that emotion. That's what I do in that moment. And that's how I'm able to release my traumas, my fears, my worries through meditation. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And I love that
1: process, that sort of incremental process. Uh, yes, you know, I think that would work really well for me because I tend to be kind of a, a jump to a big thing kind of a person and and doing an incremental thing. It's what I teach women how to do in terms of navigating through fear is start with something mm-hmm. that is small. Right. <laughs> and then kind of increase it. And yes. it never occurred to me to do that with meditation. Yes, so.
0: absolutely. I, I encourage all of my clients to start off slowly because mm-hmm. with meditation is like, you're literally going to drift. You're literally going to have moments where you're like, I'm meditating. Oh, no, I forgot. No, it's okay. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> you may get bored. You may fall asleep. You know, anything can happen during meditation. So when you start off gradually, then you automatically progress to where you want to be. So, for example, when you have an infant, you start them off with milk or formula or breast milk. Slowly, you introduce table food with baby food. That's parade. It's not whole food. You start off gradually introducing them to foods and then slowly but surely you introduce them to soft foods and then they progress to hard foods. Same thing goes for meditation. Anything that you want to be a master at or you want to like really engulf yourself in, you have to go slow. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well, you have convinced me. I (laughs) I know that I do like
1: guided meditations, but it never occurred to me that I could kind of use them as a bridge to being yes. able to just meditate on my own. So mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. All right. I got it. I'm gonna try it. <laughs> I'm so glad I convinced you. Yay! Yeah. Well, you know, I know a lot of people who do meditate and I always think, well, that's great for them, but it's not really something that suits me. But it's yeah. as So
0: that's just my own brain creating a story that's not actually true. I thought the same thing. I'm like meditating. Oh no, why would I want to do that? That's just sitting in a dark. Quiet, no, I can't do it. But honestly, it changed my life. Well, it really did. That powerful. It's definitely worth exploring. Yes, it
1: is. Yeah. Well, what advice would you give to young women in their 20s that you wish you'd
0: known when you were that age? I would definitely encourage a woman in her 20s to learn about meditation. Number one, because meditation can take you to so many different levels in your life. It teaches, it taught me. So much about myself. It taught me about self care. It taught me about how I can release my stress, my traumas. And then once I was able to release, I was able to learn how to love myself and how to take care of myself. And so I would encourage any young woman in her early 20s, mid 20s, even us women who are mid- middle age and older. Find a way to get back to you. Find a way to give to you that you give to everyone else. Because then that'll allow you to be the best version of yourself. Oh wow. That's really thought-provoking
1: and powerful. And you know, just hearing you say, like even to middle-aged women or older, I'm sitting here going, you know, I still struggle with that. I still give more to other people than I'm willing to give to me. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, it's a huge change in focus right there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, as women, our society pushes and forces us to take care of everyone else, every other being besides ourselves. We don't live in a society where we're taught self care. We don't live in a society where women are taught to be the priority or the focus. We're taught to do, help, defend take care of everything and everyone else but us.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm hoping that the generation that is being brought up
0: now is being brought up with a slightly different orientation. I hope so as well. <laughs> oh, I'm trying my best to do my part. I'll say that. <laughs> you certainly are. <laughs>
1: well, Can you tell me about your background? Like, Where did you grow up? What was your early
0: life and education like? Sure. So... I grew up in a city called Newark. It's N-E-W-A-R-K. I say it differently because of my accent. (laughs) But I grew up in Newark, New Jersey. And I was, I grew up in poverty, literally. We barely had food to eat some days. We were evicted often. We didn't have a stable home environment. I would say elementary school, I probably went to like 15 different schools because we moved so much. My mom was addicted to drugs and she was abused. It was a lot of domestic violence around me. I was involved in domestic violence with family members as a child. My biological father was nowhere to be found. And when he was found, it was not good. (laughs) But for the most part, I did not have a good upbringing. Eventually, I did it up in something called the foster care system, where I didn't live with my biological family. And, you know, when it was time for me to go to college after high school, I was so nervous. I just worked extremely hard, as hard as I could in school. I put all of my energy into reading books. I read a lot of autobiographies. Because with the autobiographies I read, like, I know why the Cageberg sings, that showed me that life could be different, even though I was in false care, and that life could be better than what it was for me. And so I held on to my faith. I held on to my purpose and my destiny, because I knew at a young age, I was not destined to be a statistic. And so I just did very well in school and I was able to manifest scholarships to college because I didn't have any family to like fill out the application and go to college. <laughs> you know, like the uh, uh, financial aid packages and things like that. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I was fortunate enough to have faith and I literally manifested over a hundred thousand dollars for scholarships for myself. And so today I don't have any student loans. I was able to do well and graduate. And I knew that was my ticket to success.
1: Well, how on earth did you get through grade school, middle school, high school, and you know, to the point where you could go to college if you were in such a A terrible home environment and then not even in a home environment, but in a foster care environment. I mean, I don't know what your foster family was like, but I I have heard a lot of nightmare stories about, you know, kids in foster care. And I don't imagine that there was a whole lot of encouragement and support for you through those years.
0: So I've had moments where I've had people come in and out of my life to support me and I call them my angels. I call them my my people. (laughs) My guidance counselor in high school is phenomenal. I am still in contact with her. And she was the first person that told me to share my story. She was the first person to tell me that I was going to be successful. I was going to go to college. I was going, like she spoke life into me. I did have some support with some of my foster family at the time, but it would be support. Then it would be no support. So it would be like one extreme or the other. And honestly, what drove me to be successful was I did not want to end up like my family. I had to be successful. I had to overcome everything. And I've always been a dreamer since I was a child. So I am an intuitive reader. And so I didn't know that I had that gift when I was a child. But when I was a child, I would have dreams about things and then it would happen in real life. So when that started happening, it would give me the opportunity to see that what I wanted, I could have. One day I uh, wanted to buy like a gift for one of my friends. I think I was in seventh, eighth grade and she loved Mickey Mouse and I couldn't find anything with Mickey Mouse on it. I went home, I fell asleep, I woke up the next morning and I remembered, and I still remember this dream to this day. I had a dream. I found some Mickey Mouse gloves, some Mickey Mouse, like all this, all these different things with Mickey Mouse on it. And after the dream, that next day, it was the same exact way my dream was. So that gave me hope, like, wow, if I can dream something and it happens in real life, then that means I can have anything I want. I can actually get whatever it is that I want. I didn't know what manifestations were at that time, but I understood the power of wanting something and trying to make it come to me. And so that's what I did when it came to scholarships. I wasn't the number one person in my class, but I was number five in my class and with me being number five, I knew I would get some scholarships. I knew I wouldn't get as many as the others, but I knew I would get some. And so I literally would just say it every day. I'm going to get a full scholarship to college. All of my tuition paid, room and board paid, and all my books would be paid. And I said it every day until it happened. And it, and it happened. That's amazing. Thank you.
1: And, you know, when we first spoke Back last summer, one of the things that you talked about was that growing up, you were in this environment where kids growing up, I guess girls and boys, were basically taught how to use the welfare system, how to maneuver around to get housing via Section 8, uh, you know, and and that kind of thing. And and you spoke about how the message really was how to stay in that atmosphere that you were born in. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing now is that you were a child who just knew that that was not for you, that you were not going to stay there.
0: Yes, I absolutely knew. And not only that I know, but others around me knew it. The way that I speak is not the typical way people from North speak. (laughs) And so I still have family members to this day who do not think the way that I speak is... The way I should speak because of where I'm from, and so when I say that, I mean in regards to speaking correct English, in regards to pronouncing my words, I don't have the highest vocabulary as some people with you know huge degrees, (laughs) but I stood out. I was always the black sheep, and not only did I stand out and was the black sheep, but my family made sure I knew I was the black sheep, and it wasn't in a complimentary way. So. I not only did not want to be in the environment with them anymore, but I also want it better for myself. And I saw they were still struggling going through the welfare system, the Section 8 system. I do not knock it at all. And it helps some people. But just because you're getting help does not mean you need to stay in that environment or in that situation. It's literally just a stepping stone to help assist, not to for you to permanently be enabled by that system. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it sounds to me as though, you know, that way of life that you experienced that that included homelessness and neglect and abuse and abandonment and all of those things, you know, was clear that that was not where you were going to stay. And it sounds like it was very clear to people around you that you were destined to escape that.
0: Yes, yes. And it's still evident and clear to a lot of my family members. They see me doing very well on social media. I have a lot of different speaking engagements, interviews. I'm doing a lot. And I still do consulting work for litigation claims. I do a lot. So, with great responsibility, <laughs> you know, comes a heavy load sometimes. Mm. But I take it with strides. I'm grateful. I give gratitude. I give so much gratitude to the universe, to God, to the spirits around us who are providing for me because I couldn't do any of it by myself. I can't do this on my own. And I know that God has helped me get to where I am.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And now you're in a position where you can help
1: other people, which is awesome. And I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I was kind of trolling through all of your website and your social media and things. And it, I mean, you've got some great material out there. But I saw a quote that I would like to bring up because you said, I can't remember if this was on a podcast or just on your website, but frequently people are taught to be silent about their traumatic experiences. We're told not to tell anyone what happened to us. We're sometimes told our experiences are invalid. We're also told that no one cares about our experiences. So how on earth do you counteract those kinds of messages?
0: Mm, by speaking up. <laughs> I use my voice. My voice was taken away from me. And when I got it back, I said, I will never allow anyone to take my voice from me again. And can, I, so I, can I ask how it was taken? Sure. I was silenced. I was told I was not allowed to speak about certain things that happened to me. I was told no one cares. Everyone has a story. Your story is not as bad as this person's story. So I was invalidated a lot by adults, by other children. And when someone's invalidated and they feel their story is not as valid as the next person's story, that goes along with the silencing. Not only that, but when someone feels no one cares about their story and that no one can benefit from their story, why would they share? So for me, I know my story is valid. I know my experiences are valid. I know that my experiences can help someone else who is in the same experience, but because and it's just. Even the culture we live in in this country, most women are told, no one cares about what you have to say, just do such and such. Or, yeah, that happened to you, but it happens to people all the time. And so I didn't want to walk in that anymore. I wanted to be free. I wanted to embrace who I am authentically. And in order for me to embrace and be who I am authentically, I needed to use my voice. And so how did you first start doing that? Initially, I started off using my voice when I created my own podcast. (laughs) Nice, I did that almost three years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Three years ago. Wow, time flies. (laughs) Wow, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, I created my own podcast, uh, yeah, about two or three years ago. And the reason I created it was because I wanted to document my story. I wanted to document the things that happened to me because I needed to heal. And so when you have someone who has experienced trauma on top of trauma, on top of trauma, on top of trauma, there's always gonna be healing that needs to be done. And so I've been mentoring and helping all these different young women and young men around the world since I was about 16 years old. But I never worked on my healing the way I needed to because I was just moving, 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 and helping, helping, helping. But I had to go within myself to get that inner peace and that inner healing that only I can give myself. And so from there, that's when I learned my voice was valid. Mm -hmm. And people were receptive and welcoming and
1: wanted to hear your story and what you had to say. Yes, ma'am. And
0: it it has not stopped. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that was was why we
1: connected initially. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm curious, like, so it sounds to me like the book, and I know that you actually wrote two, but writing a book then was a part of that process of finding your voice, is that right?
0: Yes. So I wrote two books. One book I did not publish. The second one I wrote has been published and is on Amazon. The Pressures of Becoming a Diamond. Get your copy now while you can. <laughs> I did. I got mine. <laughs> and so I started the podcast as a precursor to my book. I manifested it. And so anything that I do in my life, I'm very intentional about it. So I literally said, I'm going to create a podcast as a precursor to my book. So that way I already have like some details of my life publicly already documented and it will give me more motivation to to write it. And so from there, I progressed into writing the book. Why did you call the book The Pressure of Becoming a Diamond? So I called the book, The Pressures of Becoming a Diamond. It's because I look at myself and my life as a diamond. And diamonds are amazing jewels. I don't know any man, woman, boy, child, girl, transgender, any person of any other culture or race that does not like diamonds. It's very valuable. And it's something almost everyone wants. And yet people forget that process that diamonds go through to become as beautiful as it is. And so my life, I had a lot of pressures that pushed me and forced me into becoming the diamond I am today. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely makes sense.
1: Have you been struggling with concerns about your emotional or physical safety? I want to let you know about an exciting new coaching program that can help you get peace of mind and confidence. I've spent more than 20 years learning how to recognize and avoid people in situations that might be dangerous and how to get out of threatening situations if I couldn't avoid them. I would love to put this experience to use coaching you in designing your own personalized strategy for keeping yourself safe. Now, my normal coaching rate is $500 a month but I figured out a way to make this as affordable as I possibly can, as an exclusive offer for just eight people. This is the Power Up Your Safety Laser Coaching Program, and in this program, I will work with you over short 15-minute calls to tap into your natural abilities so that you don't have to memorize techniques that you might forget in the heat of the moment, to develop strategies, tools, and skills to protect yourself, and not rely on someone else like 911 or your significant other to step in and save you, to learn physical self defense skills based on what everybody can do that work no matter what your age, size, or shape. You also learn how predators, abusers, and criminals operate so that you can recognize warning signs and avoid being in dangerous situations. You'll create mental blueprints for real scenarios that you might face which means that you'll be ready to act, not stuck trying to figure out what to do in the moment. And you'll develop a powerful mindset so that you are motivated to take action and don't feel intimidated or stuck in fear. So for these eight select clients, this program is less than $84 a month for a full year of unlimited 15-minute laser coaching sessions with me we start with a 30-minute call so that i can learn more about your specific concerns and questions about keeping yourself and your loved ones safe and then with each 15-minute call we will agree on your homework for you to do so that you can take action between calls to move forward and once you've done your homework you can schedule your next call so for example you can have your call on a Wednesday do your homework assignment right after your call and schedule your next call right away. If you recognize that this is the perfect solution to move you from where you are now to where you want to be, just go to my website, CynthiaJolikerRude.com slash laser to find out how you can apply to be one of the select group of personal clients who will get one full year of personal coaching from me for under $84 a month. Now, I just want to let you know that I do guarantee my program and my coaching. So if during our first call, you feel as though this is actually not a program for you, I will promptly return your money in full. So there's no risk at all to you in exploring this option For those women who don't want to jump into a group program or who don't want to spend large amounts of time improving their personal safety, this is the way to go because we can go at the pace that you want to go, spend as much time as you want to spend each week or each month, and what we cover is personalized and customized just for you. I'm so excited to be able to offer this solution for you to help you overcome your concerns about your safety and to finally get you some peace of mind, confidence, and freedom. And I'm thrilled to be able to offer it in a way that suits your schedule and can be customized to meet your specific needs. So if you're interested in becoming one of the select number of clients, go to CynthiaJolikarud.com slash laser and sign up today. And you know, with what you're talking about with the pressures that create, I mean it basically turns like coal into diamonds, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I I love that aspect of out of that beginning place that seems so so dark and you know, almost hopeless and yeah, to to emerge and to transform into this it's not just that a diamond is a bright, shiny object, but it radiates. Mm-hmm. It radiates light everywhere. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I love that. And that seems to me to be very you. Thank you. <laughs> well, tell me about the programs for young children that you have, the ones that help them cope with trauma. Like, How did you get into doing that? And like, what can you share about how you help them and, and some of the kids that you've worked with?
0: Sure. So I created a program called Encouraging Young Champions. And this program is geared around meditation and it's geared around teaching the children healthy coping mechanisms. So we all face trauma. Every single person on this earth has had some traumatic experience. But it's how we deal with those traumas when we encounter them. Some people have the tools and some don't. And so I felt that as my nine year old self, if I had the tools to deal with the traumas at an early age, I wouldn't have struggled with low self-esteem as an adult. I wouldn't have struggled with people pleasing It's so many different things that I would have been able to overcome with. I would have been able to overcome and not worry about other things that go behind trauma. So I basically help these young people learn how to release emotions. In our society, we're taught not to cry. It's not strong. It's weak. But it's the complete opposite. And so I teach them their emotions are valid. I teach them how to use these healthy coping mechanisms in regards to meditation, music, and other things with positive affirmations to build them up. And as I do that, it builds a connection with the students and they feel close to me and they feel that they can share things with me. And so I've spoken at so many different schools and at every time I speak at a school at the end, several students reach out to me privately on my social media or by email, you know, telling me their stories And then from there, I'm able to guide them to the right connections with the guidance counselor or the principal or whoever to give them the proper treatment to help them learn to cope. So basically, the program was created as a result of me, my nine year old self, (laughs) Mm -hmm. wanting to have someone that I can relate to that understood me and that could help me be a better person.
1: Well, I think for children who are living in homes where there is violence and abuse and where they are suffering trauma, I'm sure there's a sense of shame wrapped around that and not wanting to tell anybody about it right, yeah, so hearing from you, you know because you're very open and you're you're on the other side of it, I'm sure that really helps in terms of trust and rapport, yes. Um, how so for the ones who are still living in those homes, though, how do you help them just continue to survive where they are until they can reach a point where they can leave, like you did?
0: So, I teach them about positive affirmations, I teach them how to affirm themselves, I teach them how to meditate. When I said in the beginning that meditation saved my life and that it's essential in my life, it is. And so, it's funny because initially some of the students would think that, oh, meditation, that's corny. <laughs> like they weren't on board. And then after a while, they're like, you know, Miss Asia, you know, I I had this situation and I just meditated and I I did my deep breathing and I felt so much better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just hearing that from a young child. I'm like, if all of these children can be exposed to these techniques in school, mm-hmm. because all parents aren't very informed when it comes to meditation. It is scientifically proven that meditation not only helps you emotionally, but it helps you with your brain waves and the way you process information, it helps your cognitive skills get stronger. Your creativity comes out. It's so many benefits when it comes to meditation. And so helping young children feel, realize how they can release their emotions in these spaces, despite what's happening around them, it allows them to feel empowered. And the more they feel empowered, the more they can increase their self esteem and connect with their higher selves. What I love about
1: what you're saying is, and this is really helping children tap into their own inner resources, and it's giving them practices that they can do on their own. Like nobody can really keep them from doing this. Right. You know, they can't say, Well, you are not allowed to meditate
0: because how on earth would anybody really know? Right. And the thing is, it's something that can be done silently. No one doesn't even have to know that you're meditating. Mm -hmm. You can literally be sitting with your eyes open, doing deep breaths in and out and meditating, and no one will even know. I don't know who will listen to this podcast, but someone may be in their office space listening to this podcast and they may be going through stress at work from all these different people attacking them. Sit in your little space in your cubicle. Do your deep breaths in and deep breaths out. Deep breaths in and deep breaths out. And when I tell you, you will feel the heaviness release off of you. You absolutely will. Yeah, I
1: love that. Something else I want to ask you about is, I remember like way back when we first spoke, you talked about helping Boys and girls rechannel their anger so that they don't end up in prison or in a psych ward. And, you know, I would think that other than shame, anger is probably I think anger and fear are probably the two other emotions that come up that kids don't really have tools to navigate through and manage. So can you talk a little bit about
0: what you teach them in terms of of anger? Sure. So when it comes to anger, meditation is key again. And I also teach them positive affirmations. So once they release their anger through meditation, then they will reaffirm themselves to build themselves back up once they've released that anger. I also teach them healthy ways of releasing anger. It's quite a few different things that you can do, release anger healthy. But one thing that I always teach each student is that their anger is valid. And validating their anger is just going to make them more angry. And this can go for adults as well. When you're upset, more than likely, you have a reason to be upset and it is valid. Embrace it, feel it. As you embrace it and you feel it now, guess what? Release it. The problem with anger is that we're taught not to be angry. We're not taught to embrace it, to feel it, and then release it. That's how you move forward in life. And so a lot of students don't know how to do that. They don't know that anger is OK. Once you teach them that it's OK, you teach them that it's not only OK, but how to be in the moment, feel the anger. But now you felt it. It's time to let it go. So what are some of the tools or the techniques that you teach them on, on how to how to let go of that angry energy and like how to get it out? I alter it based on the students. So meditation is one. Positive affirmations is another one. I don't say all of them (laughs) um, during interviews because it's a program that I've created. And so I just don't want to give out all of my tools for (laughs) free. (laughs) Uh But honestly, it's definitely something that I create based on a student. Mm -hmm. Every student is different. Every adult is different. So meditation may work for one student, but it may not work for another. Positive affirmations may work for one student, but it may not work for another. And so not only that, but the most important thing for me is building a connection. When I build those connections with these students, they trust me. And as they trust me, when I give them instructions on how to release, they listen to me because they trust me. So building trust is essential. Well, that's, that's really cool. I'm thinking about like, what the
1: most effective thing is for me, when I'm angry, and it's definitely physicality, it's, it's physical movement, you know, mm-hmm. outdoors, if possible, because that's, you know, I find being outside is a great way to let go of all of that angry energy. So, yeah, I can see how like different tools for different people and, you know, what works for me and it might not work for you. And right. It really helps to understand exactly what kind of person you are so mm-hmm. you can find those tools that really work.
0: Yeah. And then because I'm in the school districts, it's certain things that you can do and certain things you cannot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like. Maybe a kick block boxing class. That may be something I cannot do, you know. Right, right. Funny you should mention that because I love to
1: go out and hit things when I'm upset. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone handles anger differently. Uh-huh. But the tools that I teach the students are things that they can do on their own without any outside forces. Yeah, that's great.
1: Oh, so I mean, you lived with fear for many years, I assume my like how then I'm saying I assume because having read your book, it's an autobiographical book. And all I could think as I was reading the book was like what terrifying circumstances mm-hmm.
0: you were in as a child. So how did you learn how to cope with fear? I didn't learn how to cope with fear until I became an adult. I was afraid my entire life as a child. I was always on edge My anxiety was super high. I was a very depressed child, but I didn't show it. And so I literally lived on the edge. I had hope, but I was in fear. I had hope, but I was still afraid. And when I became an adult, I literally started to release my fears. And the reason I was always afraid as a child was because. I was worried about if I said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, I may not eat or have a place to sleep because in our community where we grow up, if you're looked at as being a disrespectful child, you can be kicked out of the house. And so my fear was I would be kicked out and I would have nowhere to go. I was a very introverted child and I didn't really speak up for myself. So I know people would take advantage of me. So I lived in fear because I was always afraid of saying and doing the wrong things. And that goes back to me saying, you know, I have a voice and I will never allow anyone to take it from me again Mm -hmm. because I was always afraid of saying the wrong things, rubbing this person the wrong way, you know, doing this the wrong way. I don't live my life like that anymore. Yes, I can I can understand how,
1: you know, having once reached the, the place where the threat of having your basic survival needs mm-hmm. not be met. I mean, what, what would be more terrifying for a child than to be told, you know, I don't care that you're eight years old, you're kicked out because mm-hmm. because I'm sure you knew that being on the streets was not safe either. So right. not safe at home and not safe out on the streets yeah you know just just be on eggshells all the time yes i'm sure it took quite a toll in terms of you know how how our physical beings and our mental emotional beings respond to being under constant stress and in a constant fear state like that Um, i'm sure it took quite a toll but it sounds as though once you were out of that environment and Nobody could kind of hold that over you anymore. That was kind
0: of when things turned around. Yes, it absolutely was. And that wasn't until I became an adult mm-hmm. I was finally in college at that point, and I didn't have to worry about not having a place to live because I lived on campus, <laughs> right? Right? Well, you were a very strong child to endure. You know,
1: and and I appreciate that you've spoken about how much hope you had and that you you had this belief that you were going to get out of it and and that there was something else for you, because that must have been a good part of what sustained you through those times.
0: Yes, it is. And I did a lot of reading, a lot of reading. (laughs) Uh, Reading was my way of escape. I read books and I literally would go into a whole nother room. Mm -hmm. By reading, I would get lost in reading.
1: Well, that's the power of books. I love books. I used to do the same thing, but I was not in your circumstances. But I always loved that ability to just open up a book and disappear into a
0: totally different world. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. That was my comfort at that point because I didn't have any other resources or tools. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I mean, just thinking about books, I had built a collection
1: of more than a thousand Mm. uh paperback books in my bedroom and they were you know science fiction they were romance they were suspense stories fantasy books and like I had a gazillion of them and and it was exactly because I, I needed to escape from the pressures of you know being a, a mom with four kids and my mother living with us and You know, all of the issues that came with that, that was my great escape. And when I met the man who is now my husband, my real life became so much better than anything that I was reading in the books that I just, I boxed them all up and donated them all. I don't need these anymore. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) That was the point where I realized that I had more than a thousand books that were all organized (laughs) by category and by author and by title. (laughs) Oh. That's because my mother was a librarian, so I had to organize. So (laughs) it's in my genes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'd like to dig into how you teach people to recognize how trauma is affecting
0: their lives. Can can Um, you talk about that? Sure. So on social media, I do a lot of, I post a lot about narcissistic abuse. And the reason I post mostly about narcissistic abuse is because a lot of people don't talk about it. We're taught if you're in a domestic violence situation, just leave. Don't let anyone hit you. Don't let anyone do this to you. But we're not taught about the narcissistic tendencies that is abuse. And so I feel it's my obligation to help educate our world about narcissistic abuse because it does not always look physical. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of people in abusive relationships and they really do not know they're in abusive relationships. So I was in several narcissistic abusive relationships with family members. I was in several narcissistic abusive relationships with friends, as well as romantic partners. And so people automatically assume and think domestic violence is just between a romantic partner and that's it. That's not the truth. And we need to be educated on it. And so I, you know, post videos. I have a group of women that follow me. I have approximately like close to 350 women in my group that I educate on different types of abuse. I educate them on abuse in the workplace. I educate them on how to love themselves, how to affirm themselves. It's just all about me helping give to women and men what I did not get, especially when it comes to the narcissistic abuse because you can literally be in a relationship with someone. You can make them a full dinner. You've slaved over the stove and you've cooked for like three hours and made sure it was perfect. And they ate it and they said it was disgusting. Mm -hmm. That's narcissistic abuse. And it's so many different things that we don't think is abuse. That is. Are there
1: warning signs that we can teach youngsters like before they start getting into relationships so that they can recognize like
0: this this is
1: potentially an unhealthy dynamic
0: yes there are warning signs but a lot of times the warning signs aren't flashing and loud so we dismiss them or we don't realize they're warning so something called love bombing When you meet someone, they're just giving you the world, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like literally taking care of your every need. And so you're not going to think this person is going to be abusive to you down the line, but that's one sign of narcissistic abuse does not necessarily mean that's every case because it's not. So a warning sign could literally be a warning or it could not be a warning. But if we don't teach the signs of it, then we won't know. So just like I just said in regards to cooking a full meal and then the person degrades and devalues you by saying the food is disgusting. I know personally, I never thought that was abuse. I thought, oh, well, they're just selfish or, you know, they just don't like my cooking. But that's how narcissistic abuse starts. It starts off with the little or the small situations. Another warning sign of narcissistic abuse is if you get into a disagreement with your partner and your partner gives you the silent treatment, I'm not talking about, oh, for a couple of hours or, you know, they just need time to release. I'm talking about for days to weeks. If you're in a relationship with someone, whether it's a friendship, and I clearly stress friendship and family members because those are narcissistic, abusive relationships sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. If you're in a relationship with someone and they don't like what you said, they feel they do not want to have a conversation with you at all for a whole week because they need to punish you per se for you speaking up and using your voice. That is a narcissistic, abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's so many things that happens in these relationships. We just don't know. I had no idea I was involved in so many narcissistic abusive relationships Mm -hmm. until I started to study it. And, you know, most people say, oh, they're they're just upset. They'll get over it. They'll call me. And even if you reach out to them to see if they're okay and they just don't respond, they're trying to punish you. That's abuse.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about also is just that when you're a child, when you're growing up with this, it is mm-hmm. normal. It's what mm-hmm. you think is a normal friendship or a normal mm-hmm. family relationship or a normal love relationship. Right. And nobody really tells you, mm-hmm. well, hey, hang on a minute. That's actually not healthy. That's abusive. And so that's why the work that you're doing is so powerful because you are now a voice who is getting out there saying, hey, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and you you can start to shine the light and say, you know, I know that you wouldn't put the label on right now of this being abuse, but I just want you to be aware mm-hmm. that this is not healthy. Right, and it is damaging you, and it is causing you to, you know, change your behavior so that you don't incur a consequence. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, so yeah. So so one of the aspects of domestic violence that isn't talked about very much is how it impacts children. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about how it affects children and like what
0: we can do to help? Absolutely. Domestic violence affects children tremendously. And it's so unfortunate because a lot of children don't get help for the traumas that they experience as a result of dom- domestic violence in their homes. And the problem is people think domestic violence is a socioeconomic problem. And it's not. Domestic violence happens at any socioeconomic level, any demographic, any race, any culture, any relationship, whether it's a single family home or a multifamily home, multi-parents, it happens so often so many ways. And what people do not realize is that the children are internalizing what's going on. You may think they don't hear you. They do. You may think they do not see the offness between the parents in the home. They understand. And many of those students and children become either very introverted or very extroverted, and they have no balance. A lot of children who experience domestic violence in the home become narcissists as well. They blame everyone for their faults, they blame everyone for things that's happened to them because. That's what they witnessed growing up. And so any relationship you have and you have children, be very careful what they witness. Even if you don't say anything, body language is a language. Children can pick up on energies. Children are so innocent, they can see things that adults don't see. So I think it's very essential, in my opinion, to have children in counseling I've had both of my children in counseling at different parts of their lives because anytime there's a separation, say two parents separate, that child is going through a separation as well. And so prior to that separation, that child may have witnessed some things in that household that affected them internally. And many children think it's their fault. They're ashamed. They don't want to talk about it and they try to move forward, but it comes out in other ways. It can come out in a way of of self-harming, self mutilation. so many different things. And so it's very essential that you have constant conversations with your children, not just about how they feel about school, but how they feel about home. Ask them. Do you love being home? Do you like being home? Do you feel at peace at home? When you ask those questions, be prepared to hear anything. And if they tell you something you don't want to hear, listen, because that is their way of crying out for help. And if you don't help them in that moment, they may never ask for help again.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, That's really helpful to understand that and to, to recognize that, and children really do need as much support mm-hmm. in recovering from that kind of trauma, even if it wasn't specifically directed at them. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're living in that environment, right, you know, means that they are taking it in on many different levels. And mm-hmm. I think what you spoke to about how that can lead to you know, choosing paths and and having behaviors later on that lead them into situations that are also you know, where they're the abuser, you know, it really, it's another reason why early intervention and support can make such a difference.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: Yeah. Well, what is the most common challenge that women are dealing with when they come to work with you?
0: Loving themselves, having self-esteem. Most women are torn down by society in regards to television, Most women are torn down by society in regards to social media, the image, the way they need to look, how they should walk, how they should be, not being able to authentically be themselves. And it's so unfortunate we live in this world because this happens all over the world. Literally, I've spoken to people in so many different countries that deal with the issues of weight, self-esteem. It's literally a worldwide issue and we need help. So is there
1: like one thing that you can share on how a woman can start to get in touch with and rebuild her sense of worth or sense of value?
0: So, if you're not into meditations, as you can see, I'm a big meditation component. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hype meditations up all all day. (laughs) If you're not into meditation, I would say positive affirmations. Tell yourself you love yourself every day. When you wake up in the morning, if no one tells you they love you, you're telling yourself you have to fill your own cup. We can't wait. For others to fill our cups, because if we continue to wait for others to fill our cups, our cups may never may never be filled. But if we fill our own cups, can no one come in and take anything out of that cup they did not put in? Oh, I love that. I love that. That's great. Well, hard to believe we've been talking for an hour already. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I actually I have a boatload more questions, but I don't want to. I don't want to extend this for too terribly long. You're fine. So I have another question for you. And sure. then we'll wrap it up. So, how do you think that women can develop their own personal power and courage?
0: Learning themselves. I learned my power through meditation and affirming myself. I learned my power by addressing my traumas as well. When you address your traumas and you address your past and do something called shadow work, inner child healing, it allows you to free up space, not only in your heart, in your soul, but in your mind. And then that allows you the ability to be creative even more than you were prior. We all have layers of trauma And if you think about, normally I can visually show you an analogy of how I do the trauma (laughs) theory that I have. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think, oh, okay, I have, I have a great one. Uh, So the analogy I'm going to use is say, if anyone ever made lasagna, everyone knows lasagna has layers. You, some people put noodles on the bottom and then they put sauce with meat and then they'll put cheese, then they'll put veggies, whatever, however you do it. But there are multiple layers of that lasagna. And look at trauma, like the multiple layers of lasagna and that lasagna's pan is filled all the way to the top. Once you pull back the first layer of noodles, then there's going to probably be like, say, veggies underneath that layer of noodles. That's a second trauma. Once you've removed the layers of the the veggies, then there's probably gonna be layers of cheese. Remove that. Then once you remove that, it's gonna be layers of sauce and meat. Remove that. Underneath that is gonna be layers of noodles. And then the cycle starts over and over and over again until it's literally, the pan is empty. And so when we're addressing our traumas, We're pulling back layers. As we're pulling back layers, we start to feel better. We start to get a little bit of relief. You ever ran five miles? Well, I haven't, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) someone runs five miles, or if they're running for a marathon and they're running to get to that end to like get their award, that last bit is always the hardest. That last stretch is always the hardest but you keep pushing because you have an end goal. You want to win, you want to get to the finish line. And so when you're pulling back the layers when it comes to your traumas, think about that lasagna, you're pulling back all of those layers. Now in the midst of pulling those layers back, it's not going to be easy. Some of the cheese is going to be stuck to the meat, some of the the meat is going to be stuck to the veggies, some of the pasta is going to be stuck, it's going to be mixed in. But As you continually work on it and you keep pulling it back, keep pulling it back, keep addressing those traumas, you will feel better. You will get better. You will be stronger and you will have a higher self esteem. You'll have more love for yourself and the confidence that you're building and the higher self that you're building within yourself. No one can take it from you. That's the best part of inner healing work. In my opinion, no one can ever take credit for the work that you did for yourself. I love that. I'm just so appreciative of
1: that metaphor, number one. That was great. Thank you. (laughs) But also, you know, you're right. Like doing that inner work, that's you doing the work. Nobody else can do it for you. Mm -hmm.
0: And once you do, you have all the benefits of having done it. Yes. And one thing I love is that the clients that I have, once I give them the tools and they're able to apply those tools, they're literally self-sufficient. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think when you go to a life coach or when you go to counseling, it's a permanent situation. You have to do it for the rest of your life. Some situations are like that. The program that I've created, I teach my clients how to be self-sufficient. Why do I do that? Number one, I cannot always be there. Number two, they have to depend on themselves to have that confidence to make the next steps and make the right decisions for your, their next journey.
1: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, and I can definitely relate to that because, you know, for me, when I work with people, I, I don't want to create a dependency where they feel like they're not going to be able to make choices or decisions and they're not going to be safe. And they're, you know, somehow at a disadvantage if I'm not also right there. Right. The whole point is to own it yourself. Right. And, you know, the work that you're doing is very similar to the work that I'm doing, because it's about really tapping into your own inner strength, your inner resources and right. having that sense of self-worth. I mean, for me, women who don't think that they'll take action to protect themselves if they need to, often it comes because they don't believe in themselves. Right. Whereas like they would leap into action instantly if it was a child, you know, mm-hmm. their child or, you know, their mother or, you know, somebody that they cared about. And it's like valuing themselves and tapping mm-hmm. into that, their own sense of self-worth just fundamental. So yeah. I just, I love what you're doing. And, and I'm sure that when people work with you, it is a truly transformational experience.
0: Yes, I'm so grateful. I literally send so much gratitude to the universe, to God, because I know what it feels like to be in these individual shoes. Literally, not every situation I can relate to, but in some form, in some fashion, I can. And all I do literally is just share my experiences along with the tools that I've learned when I became certified with real life experiences. People don't want to be sugarcoated anymore. No one wants to deal with the BS. I'll say sugarcoated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're not playing games anymore. People want authentic people around them, and they want to see real work, real results, real value. Yeah, amen to that.
1: Well, Asia, this has been an absolute delight. I am so glad that we were finally able to get on this call and and record this interview because it has been a long time coming and I have just loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for coming on the
0: show. Thank you so much for having me. This was definitely a pleasure i'm truly truly appreciative for you having me on the show and i I send so much peace blessings and gratitude to you and your business your followers your listeners every person that is involved with your business because i know they're getting great value No, i appreciate that so much thank you asia you're welcome before we wrap it up can you share how people can find you Absolutely. So my business name is Survivor Not By Chance. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and everything is Survivor Not By Chance. The only difference is Twitter is Nikki is N-I-C-K-I-J Survivor. And my website is SurvivorNotByChance.com. My book, The Pressures of Becoming a Diamond is available on Amazon. I have reviews on there as well. And you can see I'm grateful, sending gratitude again. <laughs> I have quite a few reviews that are great reviews about the book. So if you're interested, you can definitely grab a copy on Amazon. Oh, That's
1: great. And I'll have all of those links, including the one to your book in the show notes so that people can find those very easily. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Asia Carol. It's been a tremendous honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm super, super grateful sending gratitude. This is the Born to be a Badass podcast. Stay safe and be a badass.
0: You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the groundbreaking show that shines the light on women, violence and safety, life after trauma and how to build personal power and courage. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and share it with your friends, family members, and colleagues. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review that will help our show reach more women around the world. Tune in regularly for more exciting conversations full of insights and wisdom you won't hear anywhere else. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.